You're listening to episode 88 with Seth Siegel, Senior Fellow at the University of Wisconsin Center for Water Policy and author of the new book, Troubled Water. This episode is brought to you by Rogue Water Lab. Hi, this is Christina Amidpour, Managing Director at Isle Utilities. This is the podcast that is demonstrating the value of communication in the water sector. It's water in real life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Corso and Ariane Shipley. We are proud to announce our new nonprofit venture, Rogue Water Lab. A tribe, an experience, a calling, a hub where you can learn, connect, and grow. The lab is cultivating the next generation of innovators in water communication and education. Why? Because progress is a human story. And those who tell the stories rule the world. So the question now belongs to you. Are you ready to join the revolution? I first heard about Seth Siegel through his book, Let There Be Water, which is an amazing book that discusses the issue of water quantity around the world. And he uses Israel as a case study for solving some of those challenges that happen around that issue. But his latest book, Troubled Water, is causing quite the stir across uh, our industry. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I'll be 100% honest, this book absolutely stirred me. You know, with over a decade of experience in this industry, nothing in it really surprised me, but it's just quite a different experience to see it all laid out in black and white. But our conversation with Seth is incredibly positive. If you know Ariane and I at all, you know that we don't believe in doing things the way they've always been done. And now more than ever, we have voices rising both in and outside of our industry calling for change. We need to lean into these conversations no matter how uncomfortable they are. And trust me, they will be uncomfortable. And we have to find ways to move forward together with our customers who are our neighbors. It's not fair for us inside to say, well... Seth or whoever isn't one of us. I'm I'm using air quotes now. He's not one of us. So therefore, they don't really get it. They don't understand. You should take things like this with a grain of salt. We can't think that way anymore. We have to have some candid conversations with the people that we serve. We have to open the channels of dialogue, have those tough conversations, and fight the good fight together because while water is worth it, People are worth more. So we got to come in with an open mind and an open heart. And without further ado, let's get to the show. Seth Siegel is a senior fellow at the University of Wisconsin Center for Water Policy and author of the New York Times bestselling book, Let There Be Water, Israel's Solution for a Water-Starved World, and the new book, Troubled Water, What's Wrong with What We Drink. His work has won praise from Tony Blair, Michael Bloomberg, and Nobel Peace Prize laureates Shimon Peres and Juan Manuel Santos. So thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with us today, Seth. We appreciate it. I'm a huge fan. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So we're going to go right into question one. Um, <laughs> you've been a fan of water for a long time, obviously. Um, but do you feel like water chose you or did you choose water? Well, all I know is that uh, even though I'm not an engineer, I'm not a scientist, uh, that for the longest time I can remember, I was fascinated by water uh, infrastructure, water issues. 
so you think, well, maybe it's just all infrastructure, you know, but I, but I wasn't fascinated by tunnels or bridges or, or airports <laughs> particularly, but I have been fascinated by water infrastructure. And um, when I was a, a graduate student, I, I chose to take an elective course outside of my area of study in, uh, in water scarcity subject matter. And my wife reminds me every so often of how uh, when we were dating, even I would talk about water infrastructure, which makes no sense awesome. because what did I know? So, so, <laughs> so, so I guess it chose me. Well, I love that you use water to woo to woo the ladies. Yeah. I mean, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she referred to it as water torture. I don't know. But, but. <laughs> well, let's hope not. Yeah. Uh, the idea for troubled water came while you were researching for your book, "Let There Be Water." And so, before we dive into troubled water, I wanted to talk about that book for a minute because I loved it. Uh, its focus was more on water quantity, and you used Israel as a case study for what's possible, just some of the amazing innovation coming out of there. Uh, One of my favorite parts of the book was not one of the technical parts, though. It was actually just how you pointed out something as simple as uh, a nursery rhyme. And this is something that I had never thought about before. But in the US, our nursery rhyme is rain, rain, go away, come again another day. But in Israel, the nursery rhyme actually celebrates and and welcomes rain. And for everyone listening, I won't try and sing it in Hebrew, but uh, how important is just this basic premise of how we view water when it comes to solving some of these great water issues that we have? Well, if there's a single thesis around my work and my work now, at least, as I go around traveling, speaking to groups, uh, speaking to companies, speaking to utilities, uh, government officials, it is that we need to change the culture of water. And the point that I wasn't yet sophisticated enough as I wrote Let There Be Water, if I went back to rewrite it, I would make this point now, is that culture is the most significant driver. Now, I sort of had that inkling, and that's why I opened the book with that nursery, uh, those competing nursery rhymes, as well as the first chapter or two or three on the culture of the country. Mm-hmm. So I had I had an inkling of that, but but I have not yet I had not yet developed the insight that I have now, which is that Israel succeeded because of its culture, mm-hmm. but that the opposite is also true: is that we fail to achieve the greatness that we can here in the in America and I would say in Western Europe as well, because we have not developed a water revering culture, mm-hmm. and that because we think of water more or less as an inexhaustible resource, as abundant as sunshine or air, we don't put a value on it. And, and that is the gating issue. Now, some people with a more economics driven orientation would say, well, you can fix all of it by putting a price on water. Mm -hmm. But I think actually that puts the cart before the horse. I think that the right thing is, is develop a culture that makes you and helps you to understand how and in what way, uh, water is central to your society. And then after that, the public will simply accept a pricing mechanism that isn't subsidized the way it is all over the world. So it's two competing ideas. Is it, is it that water is a, is a free good and everybody should have as much of it as they want, which is sort of the governing view for most of the world's population? Or is it that water is, a, is an abundant uh, commodity, but one that we have to marshal and be careful about uh, so that we don't run out of it? And then to bring it to my new book, uh, it is also true that uh, that we need to look at it in terms of 
uh, of how we can make it ever better, especially, I'm sure we'll get to this later, especially as we get to a ever more uh, chemically driven technological age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that you made that point and made that connection between funding and culture. Uh, being a podcast all about communicating water, uh, it we talk about that all the time, how uh, utilities talk about not having public support for funding. Well, it's because we're not really, we haven't done a really good job at explaining what it is that we do and where that money is spent and why we do need that money. And so just telling that story better uh, is a big thing that we we preach obviously all the time. So you know, I, I spoke last night uh, at a utility. I spoke to their executive team and uh, their board of directors, and I challenged them to. to I asked the question in a challenging way, but in a friendly way. Is <laughs> as to, to what extent does marketing play a part in your mindshare? You deliver mm-hmm. very good quality mm-hmm. water. You, these are very good people. They care a lot. I said, now how much do you put energy do you put into not just telling everyone what you do, but educating the public about the meaning of water? And they said basically not at all. Yeah. Right. To which I, I had suggested that they uh, that they experiment, that they actually try to create a project whereby they educate the public. Mm-hmm. And in in so doing, I, I believe there'll be a, a virtuous circle of ever ever greater value. People will understand what they do better. There'll be fewer complaints. There'll be more sense of cooperation. If ever there's a crisis, the public will give them the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes time for them to get new new uh, rates. The public will not only understand it, but to some degree demand it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And when people express frustration as to why why is the public believing what these bottled water companies are telling them and not what we're telling them? Well, it's because they're they're spending millions of dollars marketing their product, which is essentially our product to the customers, and they're dominating what story it is that gets told. Mm-hmm. So not that I'm suggesting that you know we need to be spending millions in marketing the same way, but that's the, if that's the only time that people hear from you, then you're going to see the difference in opinion as to, yes, I will pay 300 times the cost for this 16, 16 ounces of bottled water versus you know the thousands that I get from my water utility. So yeah, I'm glad that you made that point. And you're, you're welcome to challenge us as much as you want, Seth. Well, th- yes. well, th- well, think about this. I don't want to challenge you because I think we're all probably of one mind. It's going to be... <laughs> either a very friendly uh, interview or a very boring one. I don't know what <laughs> No, but, she means but, challenge the utility. Yeah, in yeah, the industry. Oh, 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 utilities oh, 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 at any time. Okay, yeah, no, that won't be boring at all. But, <laughs> but, but I do want to point out that in the main, who are the types of people who work at utilities? They tend to be engineers and financial services types. Mm-hmm. And if there's a communications person or a marketing person, they're not necessarily, you know, a C-suite kind of a person with, you know, who's in the top two or three decision makers in the company. It's not like every decision you make, the question is also around how do we communicate that with our publics? You can't imagine, it's impossible to imagine that at a bottled water company, that there isn't a marketer either as the CEO or mm-hmm. as the right-hand person to that CEO. Yep. And, that, and that no choice would be made from the density of the plastic to the color of the label to you know to the typeface on the label that wouldn't have lots of input from from marketing people 100% and the ones that the utilities that are doing that are some of the 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 leaders and the innovators in our industry the ones who are who do have their communication or marketing people at the table with the other decision makers too so i actually believe the good news is that once you demonstrate how effectively this works and we communicate that, and I say we, meaning you, two of you, and mm-hmm. me, because this is what I do now. I go around talking about this. 
I, I think you're going to find lots of people wanting to adopt this. Yeah. Who, yeah. who doesn't want to have the opportunity to get ahead of the curve, uh, ahead of complaints or problems? Who doesn't want to anticipate consumers' problems about things that they're hearing about but don't really know what it means, like PFOA or pharmaceutical residue? Why, why, why wouldn't you want to know those? Why wouldn't you want to have that engagement with your public earlier rather than later? So I, I, I think that, that, uh, that we're going to be pushing on an open door rather than going uphill climb. And, I, and I'm going to go back to last night again, although my life experience is broader than just last night. <laughs> but but the, the, the CEO, uh, I was interviewed on stage by him, but the CEO said to, said to the audience, he said, you know, what's crazy about this is that when I joined this utility 21 years ago, he said, this is the last thing we would ever want to do. Why would we want to talk about our failures or our gaps or what we need to still do for our public or the fact that our water might not be as pure as we'd like it to be. Why would we ever even think of talking about that? He says, and now, he says, and he's very flattering towards me, but he, but he said, but now after, you know, some awareness and reading my book and so forth, he said, now he realizes he has a totally different point of view on this whole thing. Yeah. So, so, so it was really a very, it was very, it, it was very gratifying. And mm-hmm. it was not just gratifying. It was like, to, to my mind, it was a bellwether of where I think the world is going to be going here. And, and, I, and I think soon, I, I mean, yeah, you know, uh, not too many years from now, I think this is going to be sort of conventional wisdom. Yeah, yeah, we've definitely felt that this is a tipping point right now. Yeah, for the yep. industry, uh, and I think what that what that gentleman was conveying was the way that your book just really stirs you. Uh, mm-hmm. Troubled water really stirred me, especially having worked in the municipal utility world for ten years. And I say that one hundred percent as a good thing. I think it's a good thing to get stirred, and and that, that's why we both said keep challenging, because when you when you look at things when you look at things um, and how they're done, and you get that outside perspective from someone else, it really makes you think. Okay, should we should we still be doing it this way? Are there better ways to be doing it? Why aren't we doing these better ways? So. Based on your research and all the conversations that you had with, you had such a wide range of people, including government officials and folks from AWWA and utility members and everyday citizens, how do you feel, what is your take on how our water system is broken? Okay, so it's, part of the problem of where it's broken is that we don't know, we have a suspicion that it's worse then it may be reported, but we don't really know for sure. Mm-hmm. So, so that's part of the problem here, which is that, that there's lots of question marks in people's minds. So I, what I'm not doing with this book is pointing a lot of fingers. Yeah. What I can say is broken, and, and I'll break into a few parts, is that I believe the EPA is not proactive enough. I don't believe that they are uh, focused on health as much as they should be. They have become highly bureaucratic, and sometimes bureaucracies are important and good. But in this case, it's led to paralysis and uh, mm-hmm. slow movement. Um, and again, I've said this to you in prior conversations, but I'll say it now as well. Anyways, that I don't believe we should be regulating chemicals or other contaminants just for the sake of doing it. But it seems it beggars the imagination that the last time the EPA has regulated any contaminant uh, for drinking water is now more than 23 years ago. It, it's, yeah. it's, it seems almost impossible to think that in any health-focused, sane world that, that, that hasn't been fixed. And we know, I mean, we know PFOA and PFOS and all the, P- the 6,000 PFAs, chemicals, and, and not just them, but others as well are just jumping out at us. And, and, and how could it not be that the EPA hasn't taken a position there? Uh, you know, I, I talk about other 
chemicals in the book that have been under a study for more than 20 years, and they can't figure out should they, shouldn't they. This is a broken system. The other part of the equation that's broken, I think, I mean, not just two, I have a few if I can. The, yeah, sure. The, the, the other part that I think is a problem is that I think we have way too many utilities. Now, I know that some utilities feel very threatened when I say that, but I think that we've gotten the priorities completely backwards here. Mm. We shouldn't be in the utility preservation business, and we shouldn't be in the local pride business. What we should be in is the delivering the healthiest water possible business. And that, to my mind, is where we really fall down with having so many utilities. Uh, so that clearly having 50-some-odd thousand utilities, I think the number is 51,535, <laughs> but, but, but having that, that, that number of utilities clearly is counterproductive. Yeah. <clears throat> it's clearly wasteful. It clearly is redundant. It clearly means expenses of the millions, if not more, of dollars a year just wasted in redundancies. Uh, okay. I don't care. If communities want to waste their money, they're welcome to. I wouldn't write my book around it if that was all it was. But <laughs> the problem is that you have some 46 or 47,000 of those utilities that are so small and so underfunded that they don't have the money to hire you know, the, when I say the best engineers, I don't want to put down any engineers because I don't, I'm not being value driven. You don't have to, you don't have to go to MIT or Caltech to be a great engineer, yeah. but clearly, clearly a young engineer with every potential ahead of him or herself is not going to want to go to some utility where the pay is minimal and, and the opportunities are, are, right. are, are, are blinkered. So you have that and you have the problem also that they can't afford the best technologies. They don't even know what the best technologies are to buy. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is, is that because of the fact that it it doesn't it, it's easier and cheaper to just let the water, you know, leak, that many 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 places allow leak levels that are just unconscionable. So they buy water or they take water and clean it, either or both, and, and then they let it leak through because it's too expensive to replace the pipes. So so the, so so the broken part also is the is the utilities that we have to consolidate so that when we have a bigger rate base and a better pool of expertise, then you can achieve great things. And then the other, the, the other two areas I believe that are in our, where it's broken is we don't have, we're a society that is totally revering of, of technology. Everything we do with what's the latest in tech, we, right. you know, <laughs> we, you know, I'm about to buy a new, a new uh, telephone, cell phone. And it's like, well, should I wait another two weeks because there's some new technology coming out? Right. You know, in the water industry, should we wait another 25 years because some right. new technology may be coming out? You know, yeah. so, so so we don't really use technology nearly enough, and that's that's a real gap. And and then the final piece is we just don't price water properly mm-hmm. um, because of subsidies, because of mayors not wanting to be seen as giving a tax increase. We put ourselves into a terrible position whereby um, the water is mispriced almost everywhere. And I'm not talking about a hugely more expensive water, but cer- and certainly cheaper than bottled water, but, uh, but something more than what we're paying now so that we can get everything in a great shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I love that you talked about the, um, the view towards, <laughs> should we wait another 25 years to find a new invention? Because, you know, one of the, or innovation, because one of the things we always hear is that Obviously, when dealing with public health and drinking water, there's a concern of uh, um, not causing harm to people by you can't just change out all these innovations so quick. But we're not the only industry that deals with potentially life-threatening uh, oopsies. <laughs> we don't want any oopsies, but the pharmaceutical uh, industry, you know, they 
they have their own share of you know public health. And so at one of the conferences we were at, Clifford Chan, who's with East Bay Mud, was saying that when they innovate, they look to see what other risk-averse uh, industries are doing to stay innovative and to, to stay ahead of the curve too. And so remembering that we don't just have to look within our industry to get ideas or to, to innovate, that there's other industries out there that are also dealing with public health safety and public health issues and, and learning from them and seeing what they're doing. And um, like, I understand that there is that aversion to risk, but it also can't paralyze us in, in moving forward and being open to, um, to new ways of doing things. I know consolidation can often be the one bad word <laughs> for so in some like settings, but uh, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be, and it doesn't need to be seen as a threat. Like, I love that you started out is that we just kind of like need to rehumanize our industry and remember remember why it is that we do what we do that it is for the public health. Well look, you know, I mean you you I I I've not heard of this concept that you just shared before. It's a very profound one uh, to look at other industries that have either risk aversion or have people's lives in their hands. But you know, I, I we have a very dear family friend who's a marine officer, a young man, is my daughter's dear friend. And uh, he's uh, just was made a lieutenant colonel. So, you know, he's, he's been around. He's done three yeah. very dangerous tours of duty. Mm-hmm. And just in his relatively short time, 12 years in the military, he can talk about very significant transformations in the technology, yeah. weapon systems. And this is a big system mm-hmm. with massive spending that has to be done and all kinds of protective gear for their troops. And and likewise, uh, you know, yesterday I'm a you know I'm a very health conscious guy. So yesterday I went for my annual physical. I'm very religiously. I go once a year for a physical, mm-hmm. and um, every, well, all your listeners should do that. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. Not, you, you, it, the good news is that you'll find out most of the time you wasted your time and your money because everything is just fine. But you know, who who knows? Maybe once in a while you'll find out the opposite. You know? Yeah. So, anyway, yesterday I went, and the technician, you know, does the you know has me on the table and does the EKG. No, wow, is that was that here last year? She said, Oh no, 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 no. She said we, we, we got we got a new one, you know, the other day. And and it hit me, wow, the other one was not old. <laughs> the other one worked just fine. Yeah. But, but apparently there's some value. It it reads it better, it's more precise, it it you know, it's faster, it's less painful. Uh, and, and likewise, uh, in a thousand different ways in the healthcare industry. So mm-hmm. so and in the and 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 in, in, in the automotive industry, they're forever innovating. So so the question then becomes is why not in water? Mm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, in the second section of your book, it covers some of the challenges we faced in water. And most people listening in our audience will be familiar with the water quality challenges we face, you know, including the pharmaceuticals, plastics, and lead. But you also have an entire chapter dedicated to the water industry. Mm. How is the water industry actually one of the challenges we face? <laughs> well, for sort of the reasons that we've been discussing is that is that if you are averse to change, then what you're going to find is that, um, that the world is not static. And so the point that I, I make in the book, and I, I know your audience is a sophisticated water audience, uh, but, but I'll just make a point of this, which is that when we invented both our drinking water and wastewater systems, more or less what we still do today, you know, we use some form of chlorine to purify the water on the inbound side. 
and we use some form of bacteria for biological treatment on the outbound side, you know, some mechanical, some biological stuff. Uh, you know, that's mainly of how it's done around the country. And there are some wonderful utilities that use tertiary treatment for wastewater as well, but th those are unfortunately few and far between. And even there, it's not as extensive as it might be. But that all started about 100 odd years ago, mm -hmm. both of those technologies. And I talk a little bit about that in the book. And what happened, what happened was that, call it around 1950, it probably was a few years earlier, America changed very significantly. We became a highly industrial society, and we became a highly medicalized society. And we began thinking of the fact that there's a pill for every problem. Mm. And, so, and so, actually, the statistics have gotten worse since I wrote the book, so I'll give you oh, the newest boy. statistics. To, uh, of Americans 12 and over, 70% now take at least one prescription pill a day. Of Americans 12 and over, 20% take five or more prescription oh pills gosh. a day. Mm. Now, that's actually, I, I hear you moaning, and, I, and you know, I'm seeing something that the, your listeners aren't able to see, which I'm seeing you guys shaking your heads. <laughs> you know, yeah. like a, your lips are curled in revulsion. <clears throat> but I don't have the same approach. I'm not anti-pharmaceutical company. I'm not even mm -hmm. anti-chemical company. Uh, I am. I, I think that they both do great things mm -hmm. for society and for individuals, and they make us give us the opportunity to live longer and healthier, and and have less disruption to our families, and we can continue to be productive far, far later in life than our grandparents or great grandparents. And I think that those are very good things. Yeah. H however, however. What isn't a very good thing then is our water systems then don't get modified to plan for the fact that society has changed. Yeah. Right? So all this stuff now through what we flush down the toilet, through we shower, through the washing machines, and through, you know, farms runoff and then factories, uh, legal, totally legal discharge, mm -hmm. you know, under the Clean uh, Water Act. Uh, all kinds of stuff, and I, I know I'm using the word stuff as sort of a joking kind of a way, but the, all kinds of stuff that we don't treat gets into our water. It, we dump it in rivers, we dump it in lakes, and then it comes back at us as our drinking water, and then we chlorinate the water, and it doesn't do anything to, to get rid of these, these synthetic organic compounds. And then we take these things in in a cocktail in very small doses, and, and, and why would anyone be surprised that we have a, a whole whole burst suddenly of all kinds of health challenges in society, endocrine disrupting challenges, ADHDs and, and others, which, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm not ready to, to say that the, this is responsible for X or Y or Z, except when right. the science proves it, but how could it not be? Yeah. Uh, I think most of my, uh, was just the knowing that pass through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a pass through and, and like also getting that mentality of using it as a crutch instead of yeah. changing your own behavior or your, you know, eating right or yeah. doing what you're supposed to do. You know, you know, I do. Yeah. But you know what? I, I'll take issue with that if I, yeah. if I may. Sure. <laughs> and, 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 and that is that, you know, I, 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 let's start with a pill that is called the pill. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a dose of estrogen, which, Mm -hmm. wants you to be a little less fertile. And then there are other pills that help you to be a little more fertile. And, <laughs> there's, and there's no yuck about those. For people you know, who want to have control over their lives, th those are wonderful pills. And if you have a genetic predisposition to high cholesterol, well, then good, you should be on a cholesterol medication. Sure. And, one in every, and one in every eight American adults are, by the way. 
And, and, and if you have an infection, you do want to take an antibiotic. You don't want to take them casually, but you do want to take it. It, it helps you survive. And if, and if you are a very depressed person or a very manic person or a very, you know, or, or, or just other, you know, somehow the wiring isn't working exactly right, mm-hmm. I actually think it's great news mm-hmm. that, there's a, that there's a medicine out there that you can take, you know, whether it's once a day or an injection once a month. I don't really know how it works, but, but whatever it is that allows you to function more happily in society and, and so forth. So I, so I think those are all very wonderful things. And I, again, I want to encourage the pharmaceutical industry and the chemical industry to keep inventing and keep doing what we, what we encourage them to do. But I don't want to do is I don't want to then have, you know, my, my pregnant next door neighbor have her fetus, um, you know, at risk or, or my young grandchild to have his his health at risk. Yeah, right. absolutely. Um, I would like them to do that too, but I like the way that I learned, I guess it's uh, the UK handles it, where instead of people get to produce things and then figure out later if it's going to be toxic, yeah, the side effects. figure out if it's toxic first before you uh, before you put it out there into into the world and... I think that just gives more accountability and responsibility to the people who are doing the innovations in, in health and in chemicals. And because we, do, we can't, nature is a loop. We can't, it's a closed loop and we can't just continue to add things and think that we're never going to be impacted by that. And if you're going to create chemicals or pharmaceuticals or any other uticle out there, then uh, then you should be responsible for it because there's people's health that's on the line as well. So I really appreciated learning about uh, that. You can probably talk more about it more eloquently than I just did, but uh, I enjoy learning about that. Well, that- well, there's no question about your eloquence, but, um, <laughs> uh, but, but, but what I can say uh, with comfort is that um, I, if, and if anyone's read my book, they would know this is true. I am not antagonistic to the, what you're referring to as mm. called the precautionary principle. Mm, yes. You know, I am not at all antagonistic to the, the idea that we have a more proactive, engaged EPA or, or demands of trade associations or engineering societies that we do testing of, of products. I mean, by the way, if I can talk about this, something I've been talking about a lot lately, PVC pipe. Mm. You know, it is becoming because of cost is becoming the the product of choice in the infrastructure world. And mm-hmm. I I am strongly of the point of view that although it's been around for a number of years, we have never done adequate testing around PVC pipe. There's been some testing done by some engineering groups. There's been some testing done by a, a uh, testing organization that um, I point to my book may. I'm not saying they are conflicted, but it's not impossible to think that they're conflicted because they, they receive payments from the organizations who they did testing for. So again, mm. it doesn't mean they are conflicted, but it's not impossible to imagine. That's been alleged by others, not by me, but it's not impossible to imagine that. And and then you have and and then you you, you have a situation where we are um, then playing catch up. You know when when you know when BPA comes out, and then we discover oops, it's dangerous. And then there becomes a secondary industry of BPA free, mm. but it's really, but that's not even true. It's BPA free sometimes. And it's actually, it's a substitute called an analog chemical called BPS, which is basically BPA with one, mo- with one irrelevant molecule moved slightly to the right. Um, so, so that's sort of, I wouldn't say a scam, yeah. but, th- but that goes to the mindset that we, that we ha- have mixed up now. But I do want to say, 
And the final point on this is that everybody responds to the incentives that they're given. Yes. And so if we say to the pharmaceutical industry, we want you to boost quarterly profits and sell as many of this as you can, or we say to the chemical companies, we want you to sell as much plastic as you can, or much coatings as you can, or much solvents as you can, or as much pesticides as you can, they're going to do it. And I don't think we should be act shocked or, 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 or start like running around with our, holding our heads in our hands, uh, saying that these are evil people. They're not evil people. They're doing what society has asked them to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, shifting gears a little bit. Uh, coming back to, uh, well, I guess we're all talking about water, but... Wa- can, 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 I, can, I say, can I say, by the way, I want to say one last thing on this point. Yeah. Which is, which is, which is that, you know, it's very emotionally satisfying to have villains. Yeah. Mm. You know, mm. they are bad, we are good. Yeah. And yeah. I went out of my way in my book to specifically say that the book has no villains. Yeah. And that I'm not I'm not going to be pointing specific fingers at specific entities because I don't know that that necessarily is helpful because the, the no. ultimate the ultimate solution we're going to need here is to have everybody agreeing to work together to fix the problems. And yep. I don't want to have any of these other parties suddenly hunker down and see us as enemies rather right. than I'd, I'd rather create a culture whereby we all come together and say, okay, respecting the fact that you need to make profits, how do we also make sure that we respect the idea we want the public to have the best health outcomes possible? Mm, I yeah. agree 100%. Yeah, I definitely, I, I liked that you made that point throughout that there were no villains. I don't want anyone to, I think that we're, in a time in our world where that is our immediate reaction is your us and them us versus you and and these are the villains but really i don't i'm the, i'm in the same camp i don't want to create this sense of villains but uh i would like everyone to take more of a sense of accountability and just to understand that i guess again going to that point of rehumanizing uh everything and just remembering that we're all in this this closed loop of a planet together you know I, we just spent a lot of time talking to folks from nasa a couple of days ago so now i'm like we're not at mars yet folks we gotta look out for this planet <laughs> well this is this is the benefit you get from having the public education this is mm-hmm. this goes yeah. back to and you know and and maybe now is not the right moment to ask it but you know you said you really liked the book a lot and that you obviously come out of the water industry I'd I'd love for you to tell me the names of the 10 people or 200 people who you think should read this book. And I'd like to get in touch with every one of them. I'd like to have a a conversation with every one of them. And I'll go further than that. I mean, I'm on Twitter tweeting almost every day, sometimes many times a day about water and my philosophy around it. And I I would urge your listeners to to come and join the conversation. Just for the sake of saying it, I'm at Seth M. Siegel. Uh, S-I-E-G-E-L, and that I also <clears throat> have a website where if you'd like to engage me and, and, and be you know, on the mailing list and also have, you can send me an email directly mm-hmm. by going to you know, www.sethmsegel.com, or if you can't remember that, it's www.troubledwater.us, not com, .us. And I would love to have not just a 1.0 kind of conversation mm-hmm. from this podcast, but a real 2.0 engagement that, and maybe maybe a year from now, we do something more dynamic. Maybe you guys hold a convention. 
Uh, we have one of those. We have a couple of those. Yeah. Okay. And I, we're, you're on our short list. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, sign me up. I mean, let's, that's exactly the point is, yes. is that it'll happen. What's going to happen is what happens with every social revolution. It'll mm. happen with one and two and three. And then all of a sudden you'll have 500 and then you'll have 6,000. And then suddenly it'll be everyone says, well, doesn't everyone know that? <laughs> yeah. Know? Right. Yeah. So, so, so that, that's what I'm looking for here as well. I'm looking Perfect. for... I'm looking for mentors, people who can teach me more, partners, and then people who just simply say, this is an unacceptable situation. I need to fix this for my health, for my children's health, my community's health. Well, Viva. you found the best two women for that that challenge because uh, connector, connection is one of our core values. So we'd be happy to not only connect you with folks that could do all of those things, but yeah. also... Um, we have our own catalyst summit where where we can bring people to you to also have a dialogue and a conversation about this as well, which I, I think it's important because um, so many times in our industry when when things get brought to light like this, we do bunker down because we get defensive. This sure. is our this is what we're passionate about. This is what we love. And so that's your first human reaction, thanks to the amygdala, is to react of this, oh, that's a threat. I love that word amygdala. Oh, amygdala. I love the amygdala. I, that's my I'm obsessed with that little guy. That's what our whole 2020 talks are going to be about. But um, so it is important to get together and have a dialogue. And to us, that dialogue is also humanizing it. Like get face to face, have those conversations, ask those hard questions. Uh, I think that's a really important piece of it. Which brings me into the next question. And, uh, as you were kind of giving out all of these ways to connect with you, I could almost hear some people saying, this guy is just trying to sell books. And I wanted to make it a point to point out during this interview that that's actually not what you're doing at all because you're not even taking royalties from this book, correct? Yeah. Not only do I not take royalties, I don't even take reimbursement of any of my expenses. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, a hundred, uh, in fact, my, my, uh, the, the way the royalty flow works is, uh, maybe more details if people want, is the publisher pays the money to the agent who put me together with the publisher, say Martin's Press, part of Macmillan, and then they deduct their share. I couldn't ask them to not get paid. They did their yeah. work. And then they don't pay me at all. They, they mm -hmm. send a check to something called the Troubled Water Fund, which is a 501c3 IRS charity, which is, re receives uh, donations. And then from there, I disperse the money um, in furtherance of the work that we do here. Um, I, in fact, uh, frequently my speaking fees are also, I donate those as well uh, to this. So, so very much so. And then, and obviously I have staff and, uh, and expenses and travel and things like that. I don't take reimbursement out of that. That's uh, my wife and I treat that as, as a kind of, uh, not formally a charitable contribution because we don't put in for it, but, but in a sense, a charitable contribution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah. So 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 I and I understand the mentality of people saying, "Oh, the guy, yeah, big talker. He wants to sell books." You know, I totally, <laughs> I totally get that, and I'm a little bit embarrassed to say, you know, I don't take royalties, but but I want to diffuse this. I want to make mm -hmm. sure people understand that the, we're on the same wavelength. I, I'm here for a social purpose. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to go further. I'm going to bet that <clears throat> if not 100 percent of your listeners, 95 percent of your listeners <clears throat> volunteer somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> At their church, at their synagogue, at, at the local, you know, dance society, at the, their PTA members, they help feed the homeless on Thanksgiving. People volunteer, and I've been a communal volunteer for my entire adult or since my teenage years. It's the most, as you know, I had a very successful business career, which allows me to do a lot of this. And 
I, I, I've always found the volunteer work to be the most satisfying part of my day. Sure, and so absolutely. There, and I bet that's true for most of your listeners. That's why yeah. people do it. They don't do it mm-hmm. out of guilt. <clears throat> so when I had the opportunity to do this full time, that, that's what I chose to do. So, so my goals, you know, you can say to somebody, oh, you're volunteering at the church, huh? Yeah, yeah, of course, because you want that punch at the, at the services. You know? <laughs> but that's probably not the truth. You're probably volunteering because you're a good person, you know? So, yeah. so I'm not saying I'm a good person, but I'm saying that, that, you know, but I'm volunteering for a pro-social reason. You're a good person. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're a water nerd, part of the revolution. I love that you use the word revolution because I don't know if you can see back here, but this oh, is wow. to revolutionize the water industry. That's our, that's our mission. So glad to find a fellow revolutionary. Uh, I, I, I love all the holiday paraphernalia behind you as well. Yes, I got to represent Team Hanukkah over here. I got to represent. I'm the one percent of the office. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, and I can't quite make I can't quite make it up, but I think it's possible your scarf also is. Oh, it is. Yes, it is. It's seasonally yes. appropriate. So it so, is uh, seasonally appropriate. Yes, uh, <laughs> you know Judah Maccabee was the underdog story, and I feel like. This is an underdog story. I'm a fan of those. So it just keeps me in the spirit. Got to keep chasing that light. Wow. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. I haven't, I haven't had that thought since uh, since about a month before my bar mitzvah. So thank you very much for reminding me. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, yeah. So I feel like uh, that question is really tied to the fact that your work is all for the social, the social cause and the social awareness. And that really puts the stress and emphasis on the message itself. That's something that we obviously preach all the time. We've already kind of talked about a little bit in terms of how important communications role is into all of this. So I know you've already given us some great sound bites already, but is there anything else about communication and its role in this whole revolution that you want to add to that? Yeah, well, I do want to add something to it, which is that I think that this is going to be more of a bottom-up than a top-down experience. Um, I don't believe that, although I put a lot of energy into speaking, and I don't don't know if the companies want their names publicly disclosed, but I spent a lot of time traveling around the country speaking to the CEOs of major water, uh, either water companies, water utilities, or water technology companies, uh, and elsewhere. And, uh, and some of that, you know, I record on, on Twitter when the, they're happy to have me do so, and most of the time I don't. And, and so I do some of that. But, but mostly what I believe is important is to educate the largest number of people possible. Yeah. And, so, and so this will be, if we're to quote the sign behind you, if we're going to revolutionize the water industry, mm-hmm. you may have some people. And some of the people I've met feel that certainly encouraged by what I have to say, and that they want to take steps forward now, which is great. I hope that happens. But, but I'm not counting on them to make that happen. Yeah. I want, I'm more interested in, in the moms who mm-hmm. care about the health of their children mm. than I am of the CEOs of water technology companies, frankly. Mm. Yeah. And the big will obviously be those companies. They have mm. a financial incentive to want to fix the system because they'll make a lot of money from that. But the real great beneficiary will be those moms and their families and society around us. People will be healthier. People will stop buying bottled water. 70 billion containers Mm. of bottled water were sold last year in the United States. Mm. And people buy it primarily, if your survey data are correct, 92% of those who buy bottled water say they do it for either health or safety reasons. Yep, that's crazy. So so if if that's at all true, 
and we know that 60% of all bottled water consumed is consumed in people's homes, then, then we've created this almost monumental solid waste problem in America to solve a problem that we could be solving from a different angle. Mm-hmm. And so rather than having a, a, a parallel water, a drinking water system, which is bottled water, we could just go back to good, high-quality tap water everywhere where people drink it without a second thought and, and have confidence in it. And, and that will be a revolution. But, but to get there, we need people to start talking about this and thinking about this. Mm-hmm. And if they come to it because they want to stop the, the rise of bottled water, I'm fine with that. And if they want to come to this because they're focused on health, I'm fine with that. And if they want to come to it because they're angry at City Hall, I'm fine with it. Whatever the reason or the entry point is for people getting involved in this, I'm, I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but my goal is to get people talking about this. So that's the marketing question. Is, is we are, this is a vastly under-discussed, under-covered topic. You can't go hardly a day in nature media, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, you know, the Washington Post, without seeing an article about energy. Mm. How often do you see a water story other than when it's a catastrophe? Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When, 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 when do you see that and you don't? When do you, when do you hear, when do you hear people talking about really exciting American companies, <laughs> you know, technology companies, and a water company is on the top five or 10 or 25 yeah, or 50? Exactly. So, so I'm eager to change that whole dynamic. And I, again, I think we'll, we'll succeed in that, but it's a communications and marketing challenge. Perfect. Well, we're excited to have you as part of the yes. tribe. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that your book is not all doom and gloom and you end <laughs> with um, this significant portion dedicated to solutions. Yay. So what are some of the solutions you found both the long-term um, as well as the things that we can do right now? Sure. So I divide it into um, three parts. And, and just so you should know, I appreciate the fact that you noticed that it's not a gloom and doom book. Um, <laughs> uh, as was the case with my first book, Let There Be Water, mm-hmm. I, I want to trouble the water to have that same overarching concept of, of identifying a problem. And there's no question there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I should say there's no question that there might be a problem. And I believe there is a problem. Uh, and on the one hand, and on the other hand, identifying solutions for this. And so, the 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 grandest solution is to is to embark on a societal transformation of our water systems. Uh, and, and I've already spoken with you earlier in this uh, conversation about some of the ways that we could achieve that. Uh, but beyond the societal piece, and then I talk about a particular community, Orange County, California, mm-hmm. which made a decision for a whole host of reasons to purify their water way beyond that which was demanded of them by the EPA. And, and that, that's an exciting example of a community that makes a decision to move forward. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I pivot to talk about, uh, I'll call it about a dozen, um, what I'll call big ideas of ways we can fix this problem. And the most controversial one, or at least if you j- judge by what I'm being asked by people from the media, seems to be my suggestion that we remove drinking water from the EPA and we put it into Health and Human Services or some other health-focused agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I've had conversations with people in the federal government at a significantly high level um, who, who say that, you know, that, uh, that uh, the current head of the EPA and his staff feels threatened by my suggestion. And I think that's good. I think yeah. that's good. I'm not yeah. trying to provoke a fight. I don't. I don't want. I, I respect these people. I appreciate their public service. Some of your listeners may just hate anything involving 
you know, any part of the federal government that during the Trump administration. But, but my attitude again is I don't pick out villains. I mean, I, I work with everybody. And so, and, and so I am happy that they feel that the, if, if, if the reports I'm getting are true, I'm happy that they are feeling threatened. Mm-hmm. So let them have a more of a health focused orientation. But then I also talk about a lot of other things. I talk about, I talk about things that are maybe more uh, specific to specific parts of your audience. I talk about affordability. Mm-hmm. I think it is a disgrace that we have millions of Americans every year who have their water shut off for non-payment. Now, if you're an affluent person or a person who can afford it, clearly you should pay your water bill. And if you don't, there should be a consequence for that. Yeah. If you're an indigent person and you can't afford the you can't afford your water bill, my goodness, how do we how do we have a society where you shut off people's water? How humiliating and how how destructive to their sense of dignity. What a mm-hmm. terrible thing. So I propose in the same way that we have food stamps and housing support and clothing subsidy and and indeed I don't know about the two of you but I I got a significant amount of help to go to a wonderful university. Our society has figured out lots of ways to help those with less means, mm-hmm. and we should have we should have water vouchers or something like that so that every person is guaranteed to have you know adequate not, not to fill their swimming pool and to water their twelve acre lawn. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, yeah. But clearly, you know, and then I talk a bit also elsewhere in that same section of the book, I talk about uh, rural America. And I think mm-hmm. this is a, this is a, I actually believe there's a moral scandal mm-hmm. that we have a situation where the EPA plays zero role by design, by legislation. The EPA plays zero role in the quality of the water that comes from private drinking water wells. Mm-hmm. This affects 40 million Americans. It most adversely affects people in rural America. And, and these people are poor. They don't have the 600 or $800 to have annual significant testing or even more, three, $4,000. Yeah. They don't have mm-hmm. the money necessarily put in the systems to remediate their water. And I think this is, this is outrageous. I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're a tech executive who for fun has a, has a weekend place that you fly to, you know, you, you can afford to get the best water in the world. But, but there are millions, tens of millions of Americans who are not in that category. So anyway, so I talk about issues, what I call big issues, but for finite audiences in that section. And then the final part of the book, I talk about what individual people can do while we're waiting for this, what you call the water revolution to start, what you can do. And everything from, you know, super low price stuff, like how you would use a a countertop filter or a pitcher pitcher filter to, on the high, high end, how to get household reverse osmosis in your home Mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, identify firms like Kohler and Pentair and, and Aquasana. And, and by the way, to make crystal clear, to go back to the point from before, uh, uh, beyond obviously I don't get paid by any of the people whose businesses I talk about. I love that you brought about, talked about affordability and we don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but what's even more mind-blowing to me is the U.S. Water Alliance just put out a report about the 2 million plus Americans that lack access to clean water and sanitation. You, We think of those as being problems that are only happening in the developed world and that there are actually that many people in this country who lack access to those and are having to go truck in water from other places and find other solutions for sanitation outside of what we in most places experience just as part of being a member of a community. And so I, uh, my call to action is for everyone to not only read this book, but to also read that report because, um, you may need some like tissues and a whiskey after you watch it. Cause it's a little depressing, but, uh, yeah, just to get informed about some of the real challenges that are facing this industry too related to that. 
You know, I, I, I don't know if I read the report, but um, I welcome George McGraw, the author of the report, yeah. uh, to my home. We had we spent several hours in a wonderful conversation. Yes. Um, uh, and I really appreciate deeply uh, him devoting his life uh, to this important work. Yes. Um, I, I, I would also say, though, that what is would be a failure from my perspective is if people came away concluding that water problems are only problems for the most indigent Americans or... Mm-hmm or the communities that are the most dispossessed in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point that, that I try to, because until people think that water in Beverly Hills or Scarsdale or Gross Point um, or, or uh, you know, Bel Air or, or, uh, or, or the fi- finest parts of Miami Beach, until people understand that those water supplies are also at risk. Yep, yeah. You know, yes, you can flush the toilet and yes, you don't have to, you know, travel to get water to drink for dinner necessarily. But, but those people also are at risk. And when the richest of the rich also have a sense that their um, water is a problem, I have a, I have a suspicion that that's when the media will start covering the story uh, in more than just courageous pioneers like the two of you. I'm so glad that you talked to him because we got to, we're going to be interviewing him for the podcast as well. And so we also had a great chat with him. And I think one of the things that he did say during that initial chat was uh, that that is something that he's passionate about it, making sure it communicating that if it can happen here, it can happen anywhere. And so nobody, everyone likes to think that they're kind of safe, but it's, water will affect everyone, maybe in different ways. Maybe it will not impact you from an affordability perspective, but maybe from a quality perspective. And so there's just... Uh, it's going to touch all of us in some way. <laughs> well, your your audience is in for a treat because he's a extremely dynamic and fascinating guy, and and I, and I hated him almost within five seconds. I've been walking into my apartment. So said, my first question was, "Wait a second, how old are you?" Yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like like what you've done this at what age? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you know what? Exactly. <laughs> I, just, when we set up the appointment, I come somewhere other thought he was, you know it was a guy like with lots of gray hair and you know and. Uh, right. and you know, in battle scars, but it uh, turns out uh, he's a pretty young guy. Yeah, when we talked to him, he was in the middle of a 15-state three-week tour or something, so he is definitely, he needs that youth to keep up that, uh, <laughs> to keep that up that schedule, I guess, and that, and that message spreading. So I know you have an equally uh, challenging schedule as well, which I feel like sometimes we do too. So it takes, it takes a lot of stamina to be uh, in this revolution. <laughs> I yeah. actually, actually it's unrelated to water, but I actually think most everybody today is overtaxed. Oh yeah, yeah, we are. for sure, <laughs> for sure. It's the new normal. Um, so we've we've kind of talked about how important it is. No villains here. We just all need to not only come together and work together, but also it's not about pointing the fingers. We need to not worry about looking backward, but looking forward to solve this problem. And I know that you probably have a few things that you would like people to do, but you've poured years of your life into researching, writing, and now telling people about the message in in this book and, and also in Let There Be Water. But what does success look like to you? I mean, what's that one call to action that you want people to do after reading this book? You, you know, this may sound counterintuitive, but uh, the, the best thing that would happen is if people just start talking about these ideas and don't reference the book. Mm. And I and I've tell you the truth. I've started having that happen with "Let There Be Water." It's only nice. a little more than four years since the book came out, 
um, uh, I, I received a flyer from somebody for a big conference about water scarcity. And, and the person said, um, um, the person wrote to me, I'm surprised they didn't invite you to be a speaker here. So I was just curious, like, who was speaking and such. And I started reading the flyer and I realized, wait a second, I know this text. And I opened my book and sure enough, it was lifted directly out of my book. Wow. So, so the person who sent it to me, I said, this is so funny. So he said, are you going to sue them? Are you going to call them? Yell at them? I said, God, no, the opposite. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send them a, a dozen roses. This is like the best compliment and flattering thing that could possibly have happened. Yeah. yeah. Like mainstreaming of the ideas. I, I mean, you, you know, the, my new book is in a similar vein. My new book is targeted at the U.S. drinking water market. But I, I put a wonderful, I think, opportunity out there for anyone who's listening in a foreign country. I'm willing to offer on a royalty-free basis the template of my book mm. to anybody who would like to do a similar analysis of their, uh, of their country. So my first book is out in 17 languages, some 50-something countries. I would, I would be tickled. I mean, I don't care if, it, if, if, if anyone does a translation, but I'd be tickled if something like this happens in, in a similar number of countries where people take this model analyze their local problems with the exact same framework mm-hmm. and, and, and make use of that book. So that would be a, that would be a success for me. Wow. And, and then I think the other thing that's going to be a success is, um, and I want to be a little circumspect about this because I want to be very respectful about uh, people in senior government positions. Um, I, I think people would be very surprised by how much this issue is an issue of concern to um, to people at very senior ranks of the U.S. government. Mm. And I know that because I've gotten phone calls and I've gotten opportunities to meet privately with very senior government officials to talk about this issue. Now, what I think we need is, and I, I'm given to believe that, that they're going to be doing something maybe driven by the electoral calendar more than anything else, which, again, that's what brings them to it, that's fine too. But, but what, I'm, what, what I would like to say is that whatever the reason people are getting in is great, but that, and here's the key but, but that whatever it is that these senior government officials will be doing, they will be doing more and faster with more focus and more budget if there are more people talking about this and demanding this. And I want to say, because I suspect that a large part of your listeners are more left of center than right of center, that as long as we divide this as to a, oh, the Democrats are good, and the Republicans are bad mentality, which may be what you believe, by the way, believe it about everything else, but not about water, please. Yes. Okay? yes. Because, yes. because I'm telling you, I've spoken to Republican senators and Republican congressmen and also other senior government officials. Uh, again, on a fairly quiet basis. And I am telling you, they are looking for a way to figure this out. They, mm-hmm. want, they want to be on the right side of history here. And we just need to encourage them. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is that while it may be true on other environmental issues that one party gets it right and one party doesn't get it right, on drinking water, regardless of which party was in the White House, regardless of which party controlled Congress, including when Democrats controlled the presidency, the House, and the Senate, there was no progress on water regulation and water issues that, that are meaningful. Mm. So, that, so that we kind of assume, I think, in the conventional wisdom that, oh, those Republicans, they're just not going to care about this because it's an environmental issue. They don't care about people's health. And, 
But I'm going to say that if you want to paint them as bad guys, then you can certainly use the same brush to, point, to paint Democrats because they also are getting pressure from Democratic mayors and Democratic governors who don't want to see mm-hmm. water prices rise and don't right. want to see more regulation. And I think that we need to give them the encouragement that that uh, they, they they can have. And I'll, I'll, if I may continue on the thought, yeah, Flint, Michigan could have been a turning point mm-hmm. to raise the consciousness of everyone in the country. The problem for me was, and I say this sort of uh, obliquely in my book, the problem for me about Flint was that it quickly became, it quickly went from a water focused issue to a class and race issue. Yes. And, 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 right? and so it became Flint. The reason why Flint has a problem is because why? Because they're poor or because they're black, both of yes. which are true. And it certainly makes things worse. I'm, I'm not for a second Pollyanna-ish to think that, you know, again, to think that the same outcomes in Beverly Hills and, and in Flint, Michigan or, yeah. or, or Harlem, New York. But, but what I do want to say is that I thought that the story got hijacked and that had we been able to continue to have a conversation about water and more specifically about lead pipe removal. And as you pointed out, I have a whole chapter about mm-hmm. how we solve the lead pipe problem. I have a whole strategy of how to get that done. But, but to the extent that we could have kept the focus on that, I think we'd be having a much better national conversation now about lead pipe removal rather than devolving to the same, you know, uh, you know, uh, same and unfortunately familiar conversation about, uh, about uh, race and class in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I definitely feel like our this water problem is a, a bipartisan failure. <laughs> we yeah. all uh, and there's a bipartisan solution. Yeah, you're both right. It's a, both <laughs> bi- a bipartisan failure, and there's a bipartisan solution. And we won't have a solution unless we have both parties who are involved. This is not going to be one of those things where we get like all the Democrats and three Republicans for cover. Yeah. We really yeah. need to make this a national conversation and both mm-hmm. parties. And, and, and among the reasons why I want to see the transformation from, um, from this being um, uh, a, a, an environmental issue to a public health issue is that it'll make it much easier for Republicans who, for whatever reason, electoral uh, math mostly, have to stay on the opposition point on most environmental issues that on this, they see this as an opportunity to be on the right side of an issue. Yeah. And even the research that U.S. Water Alliance has done is that it's shown that water is probably the only thing that we uh, as a nation can agree on is an issue that needs to be addressed. And so I think that's one of the things that excites us most about the work that we get to do is that water really gives us this catalyst for community transformation where if we can bring a community together through the auspices of water and solving that challenge together, imagine what we could, what we could make possible working on other things together. So I hope the water is just the beginning. Bless you for that thought. The same degree, every time someone buys a bottle of water or every time somebody has a question mark, they turn on the tap. What it basically is is an indictment of government. Mm. And in the the same way, and in the same way that every time a person moves into a gated community, every time a person sends their child to a private elementary school, unless it's a parochial school or has some other reason for doing that, every time somebody does that, it's a statement that I don't trust the government. Yeah. And therefore, and therefore, I mean, they may not say it in those terms, Mm -hmm. but it it erodes public trust. And I think that we we all in the water world who care about the water world can can play a great role in not just repairing 
the nation's health, physical health, but we could also play a great role in restoring the nation's spiritual health. Mm. Challenge accepted. (laughs) Yes. Well, this has been amazing. We just have three more questions and our lightning round questions because we we asked them of everyone. I would love to get your take. So I'm going to let Ariane take it away. Okay. So what's your favorite book right now that you can recommend to us? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, Let's see. Um, And and, and there's no limits on what I can recommend. You can recommend Um, whatever you want. So um, uh, could I be really uh, narcissistic yes. and yes. suggest, may I? May I say, yes, tr- of course. May I say, may I say troubled water, <laughs> what's wrong with what we drink? Could we possibly say that? If Absolutely. you did it, that would be weird. It would be, yeah. Okay, because yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually reading a biography of Winston Churchill by Andrew Roberts that I'm blown away by. So, so <laughs> I, was afra- I was afraid that that's what you wanted me to say. But no, I, I really urge anybody listening to this podcast to either borrow a copy or Mm -hmm. get a copy from your library or God knows even buy a copy uh, of the book, uh, uh, Troubled Water, What's Wrong With What We Drink. We will put a link on the website. And I have a copy that I would be happy to send around anywhere, like the Traveling Pants movie. (laughs) I'll do even even better than that. You identify for me key influencers Mm. and and, uh, I will get books, especially if you'll do the distribution. I'll get some books to you and you can send them out to people who you think would be people who should be knowing about this issue. Done. Done. Okay. Let's, let's limit it at a few hundred for smokers, but, 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 you know, but let's not go, but let's not assume that that's as far as we'll go. Gotcha. (laughs) So what's something that you do every day that drives your productivity? Um, I ask myself a thousand times every day, in that little voice that we all have inside of our heads, is this the best use of the moment that I'm in? I need to start doing that. I hope the answer right now is yes. Yes. Well, for sure. And I know we just asked you your call to action for people who read your book, but this is more of a personal, uh, a personal one to you. So in our work as public educators, public communicators, sometimes we would hear people say that, what difference does it make if I change? I'm just one person. That's not going to make a difference. Obviously, we wholeheartedly disagree with that. So what's the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? I, I believe that every single person should see themselves as the indispensable part of society. Mm. And if you think that enough that you'll start to behave that way, you'll feel better about yourself. You'll go from being, to use an image that I've read elsewhere, you'll go from being a spectator in society to being a player on the field. And that is an extremely empowering feeling every day. So, so yeah, we're just one person and yeah, we may not be able to change the world profoundly, at least not immediately. Stay focused, stay at it, keep your eye on the prize. Don't get distracted by other things. And it is just remarkable what you can do with your life. Mm, Preach. Wow. Love it. Mic Mic drop. drop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I don't want to end on anything. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us uh, about this book and about water and about the revolution. It's, It's been amazing. Thank you. Well, you guys are extraordinary. And I was dead serious. Send me a list of names and, and, and their titles and, and let's build a relationship with, uh, seriously, a couple of hundred maybe to start. And, and let's, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll we're, think of us as partners. To, I hope, hope our last engagement is not today. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, not. we got we're, we got to get some catalyst dates on the book so yeah. we can get on your calendar for that. But yeah. yes, 100. We are partners in the revolution. Yeah. So Viva, Fabulous. love it. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never miss out on future episodes by signing up for the Water Nerd newsletter. Found at the h2duo.com forward slash newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. We share all of our new episodes there as well as in the newsletter. So whether we come across your feed or in your inbox, be sure to share episodes with your friends, family, colleagues, fellow water nerds. Help us spread the word. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that brought you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world.